1: Dr. Maricarpel and your golden years this evening and every Sunday evening at 5 p.m. Central Time and at 6 p.m. Eastern Time right here on blogtalkradio.com and on DrMaricarpel.com. And today is Sunday, April the 28th, and we are back in beautiful Austin, Texas. And I hope you all had a great couple of weeks since we've been on. We took off last week because of the holidays and I hope you're enjoying springtime wherever you are. I know there was a little snow in some places which is I guess that's normal in those in those parts but it's hard to think about it here where it's already in the 80s. Um, It's a beautiful day here in Austin and we have a great show to match it. And Art Mendoza of Accomplice Entertainment, producer of this program, is here with us to make it run as usual. And in a little while after the break, I'm very excited because we have one of my awesome teachers from whom I've learned so much in a very short period of time. Uh, Veteran, adventurer, motivational speaker and author of Fearvana, the revolutionary science of how to turn fear into health, wealth, and happiness, with a foreword by His Holiness the Dalai Lama. Yeah, um, author Akshay Nanavati will be joining us to talk about his book, his amazing life, and how we can all move past fear and live happy, successful, and meaning lives. meaningful lives. And then later in the program, Nashville singer and songwriter Carol Mack will be joining us to talk about her music and we will be playing some of her music right here. And along the way, I'll be discussing making time and making room in our lives for our passion in spite of what the critics might say. There will always be critics, okay? So throughout this evening's program, we will have time to take your questions. So if you have any questions or comments for me or for any of my guests, please feel free to give a call. The toll-free number is 855-345-4720. That's 855-345-4720. Or you can email your questions to me, and I will read them on the air to my guests. And the email address to... Send them to would be Dr. Mara, D R M A R A, at D R M A R A K A R P E L D R M A R A K A R P E L.com. And you can hear this evening's program again by going to my website, and the link to the podcast will be posted later tonight, along with all of the website links and information contact information and other important information given by the guests on the program. And that will be later tonight, but you can also hear the podcast in as soon as five minutes after the show ends by going directly to blogtalkradio.com slash your golden years. And for information from previous programs to listen to previous shows, to read my blog, um, to watch videos, to find out about my book, to find out about my course, all kinds of things. There's a one-stop shop where you can find it all, and that's my website, drmaricarpel.com. You can also hear all of the previous programs we have done here on Blog Talk Radio over the last five years by going to blog, B-L-O-G, your slash years and for information about upcoming events, upcoming shows, whenever uh, a blog is posted, anything future-related, follow me on Facebook. Also, watch my new Facebook Live series. And that's all on my Facebook page, Dr. Mara Carpell, Your Golden Years. And if this is the first time that you're tuning in, I'm a licensed psychologist from New York City, practicing here in Austin, Texas, and in the Rio Grande Valley of Texas. And I work with adults of all ages, and I have a specialty of working with seniors and caregivers, and for the past few years have been evaluating veterans for PTSD. And part of the time, my office is in the wonderful Veterans Resource Center, Heroes Night Out, which is located in Cedar Park, Texas. And for information about this resource for veterans and for veterans' families, um, I would I would advise you to check out their website, heroesnightout.org. Do you want to contact me? Do you have a question that you want to ask me or some information that you think I should know about? Feel free to give me a call at 512-626-6973 or send me an email to drmara at drmaracarpel.com or go to my website, drmaracarpel.com and just click on contact. This evening's show is produced by Accomplice Entertainment, Postal Productions, and Psyched Up Productions and sponsored by Dr. Ronald DeVere, neurologist, memory specialist, and author of the book, Memory Loss, Everything You Want to Know But Forget to Ask. To make an appointment with Dr. DeVere at his memory clinic in Lakeway, Texas, or to purchase a copy of his book, you can give him a call at 512 261 or send him an email to R. Devere. that's R D E V E R E at austin.rr.com. And his book is also available on Amazon. And this evening's program is sponsored by StoryHouse. StoryHouse gathers your stories and turns them into multimedia collections that can be shared now and for generations to come. Have StoryHouse over to conduct a private interview in your home or invite them to your next big event or family reunion. StoryHouse, where your memories live. Find out more at yourstoryhouse.com or call 512-296-8752. Okay, so we're going to take a brief break, but don't go anywhere. It's a really brief break. We're going to play a few of our sponsors' commercials. And when we come back, We'll be joined by Akshay Nanavati, veteran, adventurer, motivational speaker, and author of Fearvana, the revolutionary science of how to turn fear into health, wealth, and happiness. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back.
0: Super psychologist Dr. Mara Karpel will be back after words from our sponsors.
1: All right. All right, and we are back. And if you're just joining us, this is Dr. Mara and your golden years right here on blogtalkradio.com and on drmarakarpel.com. And now joining us on the phone, um, I'm very excited because Akshay is one of my teachers, and I've learned so much from him in the short time that I've been working with him. He's a motivational speaker, a veteran, an adventurer, and, author, and the author of The forward by the Dalai Lama, Akshay Nanabati. Welcome, Akshay.
3: Thank you so much, Dr. Mara. Thank you so much for having me on the show. It's a pleasure to be here.
1: Thank you for joining us. I'm really excited to have a chance to speak with you, and I've been thoroughly enjoying your book.
3: Thank you so much. That means a lot coming from you.
1: So, so you know, before we start talking about your book, why don't we talk a little bit about your background? Um, you have mm-hmm. a really interesting background, and and what led you to the
3: book? Yeah, it's been quite a journey to get to the point of Firvana. So, I mean, my journey kind of began, really what led me to Firavana was when I moved to Austin, Texas uh, from India at the age of 13. And soon after moving, I got very heavily into drugs, into alcohol. I lost two friends to drug addiction and was easily headed down that path. I mean, I used to cut myself, burn, a very dark space in my life. And thankfully, I watched this movie Black Hawk Down, and that movie planted a seed in me that transformed my life. Almost overnight, I stopped doing drugs, decided to join the Marines, Two doctors told me that Marine Corps boot camp would kill me because of a blood disorder I was born with. But, of course, I survived. And they in struggle, find value in adversity. And so I started looking for other ways to push my limits. I went mountain climbing, cave diving, ice diving. I mean, you name it. Like, outdoor sports became my place. Mm-hmm. Deployed to Iraq as an infantry non-commissioned officer, um, meaning my job was fairly dangerous. Like one of my jobs out there was to walk out in front of vehicle convoys and look for bombs before they could blow up our vehicles. So, uh, as you might imagine, a somewhat dangerous job, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. But That's just I fun. learned out there to, yeah, I mean, and it was tough, of course. You're in a war zone. So I, but I learned how to find value once again in fear, to thrive in a very extreme environment. And ultimately, then, you know, I, I thrived out there, found beauty and experience. But coming back, I really struggled. I was diagnosed with PTSD, struggled with alcoholism this time, struggled with depression, until I got to the brink of suicide. And that really was the trigger that transformed my life because it shocked me that I would actually even think about taking my own life. And I knew then and there that mm-hmm. something really needed to change. So I began years of research in neuroscience and psychology and spirituality which actually led me to this concept and the understanding of fear of Anna, which is essentially that fear and struggle and suffering of any kind can be our greatest access points to bliss and enlightenment. So it was a lot of suffering and a lot of research that led me to this concept and to the work I do now.
1: Yeah, so... So what are you doing now? I know you just wrote this book, which was a really big mm-hmm. undertaking, but you're doing so really much. <laughs> so what, are you, what else are you doing?
3: So now what I'm doing is really building a movement around this concept of Sirvana because what I've come to learn through my own life experience, through my business, I've done a lot of work with other clients as a coach and, and selling products out there and working with people from all walks of life in different corners of the globe I've come to learn that our greatest problem in the human condition is our negative relationship to suffering and struggle of any kind. And when we transform that relationship, we can ultimately live a happier and more meaningful life. So what I'm doing now is building a series of products and services around this concept of Nirvana to ultimately help people develop a positive relationship to struggle so they can find their path, live that path, and love that path. And I call that path your worthy struggle. That's that struggle that you know is worthy of who you are and who you want to be because anything worthwhile pursuing is going to be hard. And so I'm creating, like, a Firvana Academy, Firvana Fitness, Firvana Festivals. I have my own nonprofit called the Firvana Foundation. All the profits from my book are going to charity as well. So I'm building, like, a whole movement around this concept to really guide people to live, ultimately live a happier and more meaningful life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: And that makes so much sense. I mean, you know, the, if we look at even the Buddha, says that everyone's mm-hmm. life has suffering, right? Life is suffering, so. exactly. Exactly. <laughs> you know, we can't, we can't escape it. So, so what does the title mean? What does Fearvana mean?
3: So I define Fearvana as the bliss that results from engaging our fears to pursue our own worthy struggle. And again, that worthy struggle is our path. So it could be playing chess, it could be writing a book, starting a business, writing movies, whatever it may be. The point is that it's the bliss that results from engaging our fears, because anything worthwhile is going to be scary, it's going to be hard, and pursuing that path with the entirety of our soul, like letting that consume us. And, uh, and that's how I define fear vana. It's kind of like these two seemingly contradictory ideas, right? Fear and nirvana, this very primal, very challenging emotion, and nirvana, that's sort of the epitome of you know, bliss and enlightenment that are seemingly contradictory, but I've come to learn through a lot of research, a lot of life experience that are actually very complementary. And we cannot have one without the other. And in fact, we need one to experience the other. And kind of the ethos of fear vana is to help people transform, whether it be fear, stress, anxiety, suffering, guilt, adversity of any kind into something beautiful. And, uh, and as a result, when, when you do that, then it doesn't matter whether life throws some punches your way, which, of course, we know it does from time to time, or whether we're seeking something meaningful and going through the challenges of doing that, we could ultimately smile in the face of any kind of adversity, right? And that's what is designed mm-hmm. to do.
1: Yeah, I really loved when I was reading it when you were talking about how there's really no such thing as a negative emotion or a negative experience. Mm-hmm um it's mm-hmm. It's what we do with those emotions and experiences
3: yeah that, that that I find to be very destructive advice, and it's so common unfortunately, and it causes people a lot more harm, like for example, you know I worked with this client once who just said who said to me I'm just waiting for the fear to go away so I can quit my job and start my business and I said that's your problem. you're waiting for the fear to go away because he believed that he should be fearless, that fear was bad you know? And I come to, I've come to like do through, through my work and through even within myself to realize that there's no bad or good emotions or bad or good ex- emotions. And there's just experiences and it's up to us to decide what we do with them. So even like my survivor's guilt, after coming back from the war, I struggled with survivor's guilt that drove me to some dark places and everybody told me how I shouldn't feel guilty until I learned what I now have learned. And now I'm sharing through fear Then my guilt has now become my ally. I actually have a picture of my friend up on my wall. And it says this should have been you. Earn this life,
4: mm-hmm. and so my mm-hmm. guilt
3: now drives me to do something meaningful with this life that I've been blessed to live. Right. That's that's,
1: i I mean, that's wonderful.
3: <laughs> yeah, because I'm, I'm grateful it,
1: for it. <laughs> yeah, because I think it. You know, to to just tell someone not to feel guilty or not to feel bad, it just it doesn't work. That's our yeah, issue, you, you know that you know, our intuitive response is
3: to tell people, oh, you know, it wasn't your fault. Mm-hmm.
4: mm-hmm.
3: <laughs> yeah, and we do that. I know it kind of comes from a place of love, but we do that all the time, right? Whenever somebody's feeling something, don't be sad, don't feel down, don't, you know, feel guilty, don't be scared, don't feel anxiety. We always say don't feel what you're feeling. And instead of saying just feel what you're feeling fully, go deep within it, experience it, allow yourself to feel it, and then you get to decide what you want to do with it, Right.
1: Right. Right. And and you know, as I was reading that in your book, I was thinking about how, you know, I I really enjoy writing. I know a lot of people find it torturous, but I really like <laughs> it's one of my passions that I've discovered. And I discovered that I do my best writing when I'm feeling angry or feeling sad.
3: Huh. And then I oh, wow. I
1: come back later after the feeling has passed because the yeah. writing actually kinda gets me through the feeling. And then I can sort of smooth it out.
3: Wow. I love so that. Yeah. <laughs> it's, a,
1: it's a motivator. It's, it, it it actually adds the passion and it, it wakes
3: up the creativity
1: if we allow yeah. it.
3: Exactly. No, I love that. I think every emotion has its place, right? And like you said, anger and sadness works for you in writing. And it's similar in, in my own life. I have certain emotions work for me depending on what I'm doing. And so I, I love that. That's beautiful. And I think every emotion mm-hmm. has value. Mm-hmm. So,
1: you know, and and I loved, you know, at the beginning when you were talking about how it's not you really you really can't have passion without some fear. Mhm. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, that, you know, because especially with younger kids today, I mean, I do a lot of public speaking, and when I speak to younger kids, there's often this this idea that if I follow my passion, life will be like magical and filled with you know it'll be easy and and it won't as they slowly start to discover and that's why i think this kind of follow your passion i don't think passion is bad again don't get me wrong it's good to be passionate about what you do but the idea of following that's why i call it your worthy struggle you know like passion develops through struggle a great example that i think i referenced in the book as well is michael phelps you know he used to be terrified of swimming terrified scared of the water he struggled when he got in built the passion for it, and you know today he is the most uh, most gold-winning or most medal-winning Olympian of all time, right? So he clearly got good at it and developed a passion for it. But struggle comes before passion, and it's through struggle that we develop passion. Uh, so it's, it's, again, the whole idea to, to stop the demonization of struggle, which is very, very common in our society, right? I mean, everything we do in our world is we're trying to make our lives easier and easier and easier, and easier is not better. So my whole thing is about make it make it hard but seek out a meaningful struggle you know it's not just suffering for the sake of suffering like what is your struggle for me it might be ultra running and building a business that doesn't have to be the same one for everybody else find your own struggle and pursue that with the entirety of your soul that's the whole ethos of what i'm doing and what i hope to do
1: (laughs) Mhm, mhm. so so Tell me about what you're doing in terms of you know this this nonprofit and raising money and I know you're you've been running these incredible uh, distances and climbing uh, these high peaks in the Himalayas and
3: yeah I do a lot of uh, various that? sure sure I do a lot of various adventures so adventures like exploring the uh, my own limits physically mentally spiritually is one of my tools of service so. Through my nonprofit foundation, my foundation is designed to help people who don't have the means to transcend their own suffering. So we're talking people in war zones, people in extreme poverty, victims of sex trafficking. You know, these are some of the groups we've helped. I just recently supported a group that, uh, in Liberia where I was at to help with these, uh, these groups who are former child soldiers and they help rehabilitate child soldiers to now become, you know, to, to, to do good in, in their society. What they've experienced is hellish beyond most of us could possibly fathom. And, um uh, so through my nonprofit, we support various groups around the country. Like all the profits, my book is one of charity. So we've supported this group in India where a friend of mine runs this, and she helps these young girls who are victims of the sweetest girls you've ever met and awful what they've been through. And so we supported them. When I was uh, last, I think a few months ago, I, was, I spent uh, about a week running 167 miles, so just under a marathon a day for a week, across Liberia. And through my foundation, we used this run as a fundraising to help build the first sustainable school in post-war Liberia. So we did that as well. And then through my foundation, we actually wow. brought my, my cameraman. This was like a really beautiful story. My cameraman who was filming the run as well as after the run, we did two weeks of humanitarian work out there. And he was the cameraman for the whole thing. And as we got so close to the run that through my foundation, we actually sponsored him. Him and his family come stay, came and stayed with me and my family in India. And we sponsored his five-year-old son to get a life-saving heart surgery that he could never have gotten mm-hmm. in my And it was just a beautiful, beautiful, human connection from people from opposite worlds coming together in the most kind of serendipitous way. And now his son is back in Liberia playing soccer and living a full life. And it's, I mean, it's, it was just a blessing to be a part of that experience.
1: <laughs> wow. Yeah.
3: Yeah. It's
1: really? That's an amazing story. Um, it
3: was very, very powerful.
1: Yeah. I had a guest on the show a couple of years I think about a year ago or so. I'm gonna to have to connect you with him. He's from Liberia and has a pretty amazing story.
4: Oh um, no way. wow, okay.
1: Yeah. They wrote a book about him because they he was found in he in a garbage heap as an and was um was adopted and now he's gone on. He's a musician and a motivational coach and here in Austin. Oh wow. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, oh, to
3: connect you with him. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, we yeah. would love that. That sounds like an amazing human okay. being. Yeah, I would love that connection. I loved Liberia. It was a beautiful country. I mean, they've gone through some hell as a nation. I mean, they went through brutal civil war, then went through Ebola, now battling poverty, and gone through some adversity, to say the least, as a country and the people there. So, you know, when, even when we were out there, I was doing some talks out there and helping people reframe their relationship to that struggle. Because often it, it sometimes victimizes people, and my whole thing was you're not victims for what you've gone through. That, in fact, this can make you stronger if you choose to see it that way, right? And uh, an amazing country, amazing people. I was, I was really grateful to have experienced the whole three weeks that I was out there. So I would love to connect with this. Yeah, family.
1: yeah, yeah. I'm going to have to connect you. I was just thinking about that as we were speaking. Um, yeah. So I think that that message is really important for everyone because I think Mm -hmm. That even people who live in a very safe environment and, you know, have everything that they need
4: Mm -hmm.
3: tend to Mm -hmm. feel
1: victimized by things not going exactly as they want them to go.
3: Absolutely, right? Absolutely. I mean, everybody, it doesn't matter whether you're, what situation you are in life, whether you have all the money and comfort and luxury in the world, you're going to go through struggles in life. That's just inevitable, right? But we live in, I was having this conversation, deep conversation with my mom about it, is that these feelings are very uncomfortable, right? Like sadness, grief, they're very uncomfortable. And so we try to avoid them and we try to evade them. And by doing so, we cause ourselves more harm. You know, like, I mean, I was at a seminar once and this gentleman had lost his father. And the seminar, like, the leader was trying to help him get rid of his grief. And I'm like, why are we doing that? I mean, he lost his father. Of course we're going to grieve, right? <laughs> I mean, I would, anybody I lose, I'm, mm-hmm. like, I'm going to grieve. It's, it's a natural part of life. These emotions are not – yes, they're more challenging than, let's say, like happiness or joy, but that doesn't mean they're negative. They're just human, you know? And, uh, and I think there's beauty in them. <laughs> Without them, we will never experience the higher highs. As I think you know, I also came out from a darkness retreat recently. And by going deep into darkness in a very literal sense, I was able to come out and see light in a whole different way, and that was obviously in a literal sense. But that is very true in a, even a metaphorical and figurative sense as well. And I've experienced that throughout my life.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. And and, mm. and I think you know when you're talking about grief, I think the reason that a lot of you know a lot of people are uh, you know tell us to get over it because they care about us. But then yeah. there's also a part of them that has a hard time. It taps into their own sadness and grief and fear. So they don't want to yeah. see us experiencing that for that reason.
3: Because they true. don't want to feel it. Yeah, I mm-hmm. That's a beautiful point. Mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah, very valid point. It's hard, right? It yeah. There's nothing easy about it. <laughs> Of uh, what it's just, it's just nature of life, and again, when we find I think like the, the, the value I think in any kind of struggle, whenever it shows up is that it teaches us self transcendence. It gives us an ability to rise above our pain in service of something right and and I think self transcendence is the most beautiful expression of humanity at its finest, uh, whether you can call it God, divinity, you know, like just you know the, the, the essence of of the spiritual mastery of, of enlightenment is is to, is to transcend in service of something greater. And I think suffering mm-hmm. is an access point to that, which is why I also do things like running 50 miles, 80 miles. I'm going to be doing a 100 miler in a couple of weeks here, and, wow. and long distance running allows me to. Because when you're in long, when you're running long distances, you go through some moments that are just terrible. <laughs> like the lows are imagine. very, very, very low. <laughs> Uh, but that's partly why I do it. I mean, because it's like like one run, one long distance run is is a microcosm of life. The extremes, lows, extreme highs, everything you could possibly imagine in between, and and I love all of it. It's really, really beautiful, and it teaches me a lot about life and my business and my work and the humanitarian work I do. All of it, it's a beautiful experience. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so you had a Dalai Lama. Write the forward for your book. That's pretty incredible.
3: That was a huge blessing. Yes, <laughs> I was really honored to have that, and of course, it's been—I mean, on a personal and spiritual level. But of course, it was a game changer for the marketing of the book as well.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. Well, it, yeah. and it says a lot about what what's in the book. You know, I mean, I think it really speaks for um, how important this book is
3: and this whole way
1: of of Seeing the world.
3: Yeah, thank you for saying that. No, I mean, exactly, because that's, I mean, again, I've seen suffering at this most intense level within and without, right? Like, I mean, in war zones, poverty, I've been to leper colonies in India. Uh, again, like people, child soldiers, and I've been through my own pain. And it's just awful how bad things can get. And I think that's, that's why the ethos is more bad. The way I see it is what could be more beautiful, what could be more important, right? So, uh, that's why it was just a blessing to get the Dalai Lama and His Holiness, I mean, the sort of, you know, the spiritual year of the world, if you will, in many ways, to uh, <laughs> to validate the concept was very humbling.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. So, you know, I know I really encourage, you know, people to read your book because there is so much in it. But, the, but for listeners that are listening right now, um, are there just some – tips that you could give them, just like a sneak peek maybe into the book, or some tips that they can do to start to live a life of fear
3: Sure, absolutely. You know, first off, whenever you experience any any emotion, just remember that it's not bad. There's nothing wrong with you for feeling fear, stress, anxiety. That, I think, is fundamental, is to don't judge the emotion just to accept it as as it is, to be with it, and then to understand it. So let's look at fear, for example, because, again, that's fear of honor, right? So fear. Whenever you feel fear, go deep and understand the fear. Like, why am I afraid? What's the fear? What am I scared of? What's the worst-case scenario? What can I do to prepare for that worst-case scenario? So I always like to say that fear propels you to prepare, so I actually even felt scared writing a book on fear. <laughs> I mean, when I when I talk uh-huh. about fear of honor, people think that I'm fearless, right, that I'm the guy without fear. But I'm terrified of most things I do, which is why I do it <laughs> from starting my business to writing a book. So what I did while writing my book on fear was went deeper. Okay, what am I scared of? I was scared of writing a bad book, getting the, potentially a one-star review on Amazon, which I really dread. <laughs> Uh, and so what did I do? I studied from great authors like one of my mentors, Jack Canty, the Chicken Soup with the Soul series author, and studied from him. How do you write a good book? So because I was afraid, I, was, I, 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 I actually studied how to write a good book. I would have just put a book out there, right? So I was scared, and it allowed me to actually engage the other side of the worst-case scenario and figure out how do you write a better book. You know, so that's one technique. The other one is visualizing, Mm -hmm. actually visualizing yourself going through the obstacle. So whenever I have a long run plan, so I have a 100 miler plan in two weeks, I'm already practicing visualizing myself, not just finishing the 100 miler, which is often kind of the ethos what people say, you know, visualize yourself on the other side. It's actually visualizing yourself going through the obstacle. So I visualize myself in a low, which I know will happen. It's inevitable. And I visualize myself coming out on the other side of it. That's another one. Being very, very clear on your why. Like, what's the reward on the other side of that fear? You know, it's not just about being with the painful emotion. What, what do you want to engage? Like, what is that worthy struggle? What is the path? What's the reward? So for me, you know, when I have a book, like, the, the reward was sharing my message with the world, raising money for charity. You know, build, get, having this message transcend me. I mean, Servana is now in I don't even know how many countries, and it's touching lives beyond, beyond things I could fathom. And that to me is the great reward to to say that, okay, if I don't take this action and move into my fear, there's consequences to that. So being very, very clear on what's the reward on the other side of the fear and what's the consequence if I don't engage that fear and tapping into both those dynamics. So those are some techniques that I think will get anybody started is to just kind of be with the emotion, don't beat yourself up, and then engage it and use it to take action in service of your worthy struggle. Mm -hmm,
4: mm -hmm.
1: Great, great tip. And, you know, and I, and I also, you know, love that that leads to passion.
3: Absolutely. Absolutely. Like once, yeah. you, once you take action in it, once you engage it, I mean, you know, because the greatest lessons are going to be in the doing. You can hear me, you can read a book, whatever. But, you know, that, but that's, ultimately what you're going to learn is when you take action. You're going to stumble. You're going to fall. That's okay. That's part of life. But when you do that, you will learn, you will rise, you will develop passion for it. I mean, I used to hate long distance running. I hate it. Now I'm running 100 milers, right? So I developed a strong passion for it as a result of taking a lot of action. And you will develop passion, and you'll actually learn to fall in love with the struggle uh, as well. No matter what the struggle may be, you'll learn to enjoy it. Uh, and there's nothing more beautiful than that. Like I love the, the pain that I experience in long-distance running. I love the struggle of building a business. I love it all. And don't get me wrong, I have low moments like, like, like the rest of us. I have plenty of moments where I'm just down. But I've learned to navigate those as well.
1: Mhm. Mhm. So, awesome. Awesome. And I do I mean there's so much in this book, so I I do encourage people to to read it. And I love that the that the profit is all going to um charity. So, yeah. I'm, so, I'm people,
3: so people So people can positive.
1: actually Yeah, people can actually help the world by buying your book.
3: <laughs> I hope so absolutely. I wanted the message itself to serve and the, the the book itself as a tool of service. So, to, so the last cause we just supported was uh, this group that works with these former child soldiers in Liberia. That was the last one. So I support different causes depending on, you know, we we, may, we do our due, due, due diligence to make sure it's uh, they're doing the work. And 100% of profits are going to charity, so it's not going to administrative costs or anything like that. I fund that, through my own business. But, yeah, so hopefully we're doing some good in the world.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's great. So Thank you. so if people, are, if people are interested in finding out more about you and maybe even um, hiring you to do a speaking engagement mm-hmm. or to find out more about your book, how can they do that?
3: Uh, Fearvana.com, V-A-N-A. Okay. Find everything on there, and the book is available on Amazon as well. You can search for Fearvana. And uh, yeah, I'd be happy to connect with anyone hopefully. Okay.
1: okay. Fearvana.com. And I'm going mm-hmm. I am I have that posted on my website. So if people go to my website about this show, it'll be there. So they can just click on it. Um so thank you so much for for coming on the program this evening. I really enjoyed speaking with you and I'm thoroughly enjoying your course that I'm taking online with you. I mean, there's just thank so you. much to learn. Um, you have that a wealth a of information. <laughs> <Yeah>.
3: <laughs> well, I'm just always <laughs> glad that it's making an impact. That always makes the work worthwhile. So, and thank you so much for having me on the show. It was a real pleasure as well.
1: Yeah. And you have a good evening. And um, thank you. yeah, I'll be speaking with you soon.
3: Yes, I'm sure, of course, we'll be in touch. So thanks again, and uh, enjoy your evening. All
1: right, you too. Bye-bye. All right, so we're going to take a quick break. Don't go anywhere. We have lots more to come. We'll be right back.
2: Are you or a loved one a Medicare beneficiary? Help save you and Medicare money by stopping Medicare fraud. Fraud happens when Medicare is billed for services or supplies you never receive there are three easy things you can do to fight fraud. Review your Medicare claims for accuracy, protect your personal information, and be on the lookout for suspicious activity. For more information or to report fraud, call Medicare at 1-800-MEDICARE or your local SHIP counselor at the Area Agency on Aging at
0: 1-800-252-9240.
2: Please visit us on the web at www.drmaricarpel.com.
1: All right, and we are back. If you're just joining us, this is Dr. Maricarpel and your golden years right here on blogtalkradio.com and on drmaricarpel.com. And, I, you know, I really... I have to say it again. This is a really great book. There's so much information. Um, Akshay has done a lot of research on the brain and on behavior. And um, so what he talks about in this book is not just based on his experience, which is awesome experience, but also based on research and science. So it's a really um, thoroughly researched, book, and I highly recommend it. And again, that that's the link to the book on Amazon and to his website um, is on my website post about this program. So if you go to drmarikarphealth.com and look for this, the post about this program under the radio shows, then it'll be there. Okay. And um, so now let me give you a little bit of news. Let's see. So if you haven't been um, following, I have been doing Facebook Live videos every Thursday at 8 p.m. Central Time, 9 p.m. Eastern Time. And then, of course, if you miss it live, it lives forever <laughs> on Facebook. And I also post it to YouTube, to my YouTube page. And you can just Google my name, but – or put in a search for my name on YouTube, but I also post it on my website, and it'll be under videos, and you can watch it either on the Facebook Live or the YouTube, whichever is easier for you. So if you're not on Facebook, then you can just go to YouTube or go to my website and the one that I did this past Thursday will be uploaded to my website tonight. I didn't have a chance to do it on Thursday, but it will be posted tonight so that you can watch it. You can click on and watch that easily. So, I've been discussing the topics of the the topic of the four pillars of living a passionate life. And the foundational bricks. So on Thursday, I talked about one of those foundational bricks of self-care, which is making time to follow your passion. And I'm going to talk about that this evening in a little while, as well as talking about dealing with the critics. And I really take what Akshay just said to heart. I, uh, you know, when I talk about following your passion, I think it really is. To me, passion um, has to do with having a, a, a meaning or a purpose that you're creating something that will help other people. At the same time, that you just that you find um, brings you joy and makes you want to get out of bed in the morning, but there is some struggle and pain to it. And I've spoken about that, that um, one of the pillars of, of passion, living a passionate life is compassion, which is literally sharing the pain of other people, um, as well as generosity, which is sacrifice. Those are the two more painful pillars, but I think that he mentioned an element that maybe i I didn't mention, and that is really um, overcoming or doing being on your path in spite of fear and um, and when you have fear and when you struggle on your path, which you will when you are following a passion you will have struggles it doesn't mean that everything goes smoothly and i've written about that in my book about you know bumps in the road um you one of those struggles and one of the fears that people have is the fear of being criticized so again i'm going to talk about that this evening um in in just a few moments that that when we decide to start making time to do the things that we feel a meaning and a purpose and we feel driven, which is really kind of that feeling of passion, it's that feeling that we have to do this. This is my soul it's telling me to do it. It may be painful, it may not be easy, but I have to do it. And when we decide to make time to do it and maybe cut out some of those things that that we feel um, other people expect us to do there's going to be criticism, and that's one of the biggest fears they'll have is that being criticized so while some fears might have to do with fear of actual of actually being physically hurt by the things that we're doing, like climbing high peaks and mountains, but writing a book um, coming here on the radio, doing public speaking, putting our message out there, um, the biggest fear that people have is that of being criticized and not liked. Um, So I'm going to talk about that in a moment. Let me get to some of the other news I've mentioned before. um, I will be interviewed on another podcast on May 29th at 4.15 p.m. Central Time. And, again, that will be as well on podcasts. And that will be on Life Transformation Radio, which is another show. Uh, the host is Sean Douglas, and it's another show here on Blog Talk Radio. And I'll be posting the link to that when I have it. And I'll also, I'm also going to be interviewed by Texas Authors Radio on July 11th, and I will post that link as well. That will be a little bit of a longer interview, I believe. And um, – I have a blog coming out this week uh, about overcoming the, the critics. So that will go a little bit deeper um, than when I talk about this evening. And the last blog was about uh, fear of, you know, um, well, just the things being stirred up, feelings that aren't that are sometimes fearful or sad or um in remembering, you know, high school memories and before, the alliances and cliques and in-group, out-group kind of things that might be stirred up this time of year when people are talking about um, high school reunions. And um, I was very fearful in posting that because I thought there might be some negative... results of that, and, you know, uh, I ended up being bullied for writing it and had to kind of move it um, away from the page that it was on and repost it because I didn't know how to erase the comment, and I just, in the future, I will leave the comment, but um, but the positive thing is that once that happened, I no longer had the fear of it. It was done okay. So someone bullies you, so what? Let's get on with it. So um, that sort of fed into the the blog that I wrote about overcoming the critics. I've written a previous blog about similar, about detoxing from other people's venom. So (laughs) people that want to criticize you sometimes for no reason. So you can find that also on my website. And um, I think that's it for news. I'm trying to think if there's anything else. Nothing else in the news right now. So, you know, let me talk about time. Making time for you, for you, for doing what you feel called to do, what you feel driven to do, what you feel is your life's calling, your passion. Um, whatever you want to name it. Um, When um, Rabbi Naomi Levy program talking about her book, Einstein and the Rabbi, she talked about your soul's whispering. Sometimes we get that whisper in the middle of the night that wakes us up and we feel like there's something more that we should be doing. And we don't always know what it is, but we know that there's something more. And, it, and, and if we don't listen to it and start looking for what it is that was supposed to be doing, it'll, it'll just get louder and keep waking us up unless we numb ourselves. And then when we numb ourselves, that leads to depression. So, um, and that happened to me. I started waking up feeling like there was something more that I should be doing. And I thought, well, this is odd because, you know, I love being a psychologist. But I felt like I should be doing something more with my psychology. So it sort of led me in a roundabout way to where I am right now and doing what I'm doing now, which is what feels like what I'm supposed to be doing. But one of the biggest complaints that people have, and certainly I had this along the way, was making time for doing what we think we should be doing, or even spending time searching for what we think we should be doing. I mean, after all, we have to make a living, we have to pay the bills, and um, we feel like we have social obligations, and and so. People say to me all the time, I just don't have time. Okay. Well, you know, I didn't have time either, but I made the time. And and, it, and you're worth making the time for, and the world is waiting for your gifts. So if you want to help the world, then you need to make time. And how do you make time? Well, one of the things that I've discovered is if you make thing your priority then somehow you find the time to do it. Somehow if you say this is my number one priority then the your your the hours in the day open up for you to do it. And um one of the practical ways of doing it would be to look at what areas of your life are you wasting time? So for me, one of my biggest wastes of time, and I will admit it, I, I still do it, but I'm getting better at not doing it, is to, is to get lost in social media. So, you know, I I'll get on with a good intention that I'm going to post something about my show or about my blog, something related to um this very thing, this very this passion that I have. Um letting people know about it, doing my Facebook live, and then I get lost in other people's comments, I scroll through and I look at what how, what other people are doing and that's very nice sometimes to connect with friends and See how they're doing but if you don't put a time limit on it it can eat away at your time and before you know it you can look at the clock and two hours have gone by and you're wondering at least I've wondered well what did I accomplish I accomplished maybe about 20 minutes worth of 20 minutes of that time was actually accomplishing something and the rest was wasted so that's then that's a significant amount of time—two hours. Um, by that time, you've lost your energy, and you just don't feel like doing what you want, what you really were intending to do. Um, so, looking at at time that you waste, it—and that for me, it's social media. I know it is for a lot of people. For other people, it games video games or um or getting or binge watching netflix um how much time do you spend doing that what are you actually doing to create something in the world and in your life by binge watching netflix or just watching too much tv period you know at this point, I watch TV when I'm just taking a break. When it's like, "All right, I've done everything that I can do. My brain can't work anymore, and now I'm 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 taking a break. And there's if there's something good on TV, I'll watch it. But I no longer have like you know a, a series that I have to watch every week. Um, and then get lost in what comes after it on television. And, you know, I know people who know every day of the week, they have something else that they like to watch on television or a whole bunch of shows that they like to watch on television. And then, of course, all the sports that are on TV. And I'm not downplaying, you know, athleticism and sports, but it can be... Uh, a, a real time um, vampire. If you get lost in watching professional sports constantly, and that becomes your obsession, because what are you doing? Unless you're the athlete, you're not really doing. You're not really creating anything from the watching the sports. Okay, I might get some criticism for that, but I'm okay because I'm going to talk about dealing with critics. <laughs> And then another area where a really big area where our time is taken is doing things that we think that we're supposed to do or that other people expect us to do or that we're just in the habit of doing and we feel like guilty giving them up even though we don't really know what benefits there is to doing it. And that could be a variety of things. I won't be specific, but think about you in your life. Is there something that you're doing in your routine, during the week, even in your work, that really isn't that important to do anymore at some point maybe you started doing it because it was extremely beneficial and you were helping other people and it felt really good to do that and you knew that it was a good thing to do because people were being helped or it was good for your business or it was good for your work life you were moving ahead in your work that at some point it really served a purpose but over time things change And maybe that thing that you were doing isn't really having the same payoff that it did when you first started. So you're not getting as much bang for the buck, as they say, and you're actually wasting time and and you're feeling guilty about the idea of giving it up. I've certainly had many of those things come up in my life, and I felt guilty about um, giving up even certain work that I was doing and moving into a different form of work. In my work as a psychologist, I have changed locations and um, focus multiple times over the years and I felt guilty and I took longer to do it even though I was being called in the other direction and everything pointed that that was a better direction for me to go in and it was more productive. I felt guilty and it caused me to lose income over it and it caused me to waste time. It caused a lot of driving long distances where I really wasn't. As they say, getting as much bang for the buck is when I first started doing that particular work. But when I did give it up and I put my all into the new thing that I was doing, I discovered that it was the right thing and I was never sorry about making that change. So it could be work-related. It could be social obligation-related. Is there something that you feel expected or you're expecting yourself to do that really is using up your time and taking away from your ability to create something really great in your life and in the world, right? If you think about, as Akshay was talking about, the higher purpose, then is your passion, the thing that you are being called to do, something that's going to create something great in the world? Is it going to help other people? Is it going to inspire other people by seeing this wonderful thing that you're doing? That may be more important than doing this routine that no longer really serves much of a purpose anymore. And of course there are the other ways of finding time, which would be, Um, waking up a little bit earlier, going to sleep a little later. Yes, it's important to get a good night's sleep, but sometimes you need to make some sacrifices to get up a little earlier Um, or go to sleep a little later. I tend to go to sleep a little later because I work better at night than I do in the morning. And that you just have to know yourself. I don't think there is any judgment. A lot of people will tell you that just get up earlier, that's the the right thing to do but again that's following somebody else's expectation and guidelines and if you know yourself well and you know that you are more creative in the evening and you're better at getting the work done that you want to do in the evening then that's the time to do it and I know many people who have children who wait until their children go to sleep when it's quiet to be able to do Um, the things that they wanna do and and to work on that. And there's nothing wrong with that. Okay, so um, sometimes you need to make the sacrifice if it's really important to you of giving up some of your social, giving up some of your social life. It's important to have balance, it's important to have relationships and to take breaks and spend time with family and friends. Absolutely. But are you doing that a lot? are there um uh, is that is that something that you constantly are doing that you're constantly with family and friends or and your partner doing social things? Can you cut some of that down? Can you say hey you know i'm not I'm not available tonight tonight I'm gonna work on this thing um, if you really passionate about what you're doing then you're willing to make that sacrifice because the outcome is worthwhile and as Akshay said the struggle of giving up some of those things is worthwhile because on the other side there's something waiting for you that's even um, and so with some of these sacrifices and some of these changes in your life there are definitely going to be people who are not happy about it. There's no doubt in my mind. Uh, um, I, if I wrote down all of the criticisms and doubts that I have heard from other people over the years about what I was doing, um, the the, the, direction, the direction I was going, the things that I was giving up, People upset about what I was eating <laughs> that I wasn't eating the junk food they were eating, or i wasn't i made a choice not to eat meat because that's one of my passions for um you know because i I talk a I write a lot about it in my book about food and mood, and I've discovered that not eating meat can really help your mood and help your health um criticism about that, was just kind of funny to me. Um, you know, that helps having a sense of humor about it, but it's kind of funny because, you know, my mom always told me to eat my vegetables when I was a child, and I'm sure a lot of moms have said that to their children over the years, and it's a common message, but then to be criticized for choosing vegetables over meat um, to me, is a little bit funny. Uh, so, people are going to criticize you when you stop doing that thing that you think that other people expect of you. Especially if your um, if your 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 view of that is correct that other people are expecting you to do that. So, if you give it up they're going to question you or criticize it if you back out of some social engagements um to do what passionate about people are going to question it when you make this your your life where you're always talking about it and you're and you know um you know if i go to a big social gathering um I'm more than likely going to end up talking about this show and if there are really interesting people who are following their passion at this gathering, um, I often end up with a new guest for the show, at least one person who's going to be on the show. So, um, So I find other people who are talking about their passion and we connect. So... There are going to be other people who say, "Hey, can't you give the can't you give it a break for the evening? You're out socially. Um, why are you working?" Well, it's my passion. so it's not work to me. This isn't work. Um, sometimes I might struggle, but it's not work. I love it. I love the struggle, as Akshay was talking about. Um, But there are going to be people who even criticize you about that. Um, There are going to be people who question you. You know, maybe you need to stop putting so much energy into that because you're not making money in it yet. But money is not everything. And the people who do start making a living from their passion are usually people who have been doing it for free for a long time or they're not bringing in the money that they expected. And that's part of the struggle. That's part of trying to make time because you're also, some people have to work to pay the bills at the same time as following what they're being called to do. And that's okay. It might take a little longer, but people will criticize it. Maybe, you know, you should be spending your time just focused on your um what you earn money in and then spend the rest of the time like the rest of us just looking living for the weekend um where we can finally relax and then dread Sunday night because Monday we're going back to our monotony of the week um that you know I'm being I'm exaggerating but that's really how some people live and that's a common thing so People are going to criticize us. And if I wrote a book, if I wrote down every criticism or questioning or unsolicited doubtfulness from other people, I could write an entire book about it just with their comments. And, but it never stopped me. Sometimes my feelings were hurt, sometimes it pressed on, you know, it triggered something that made me question myself it didn't you know it made me not feel good about what I was doing and then I had to go back and remember why I was doing it and um what the outcome was going to be and you know I think it's you know people are going to criticize us and then when we when our uh, the things that we do involve, like writing a book, writing a blog, you know, putting our writing out there for people to see, or speaking in front of a group, or even doing this, a radio show like this. There are going to be people who criticize it. They don't like what they read, or um, they don't think you're very good at it. They don't think you're a good artist if you paint, or um, there are people who are going to criticize. It's really important to remember that all of this is subjective. And so that's just their perspective. That's just their point of view, if it's even real. Some people criticize just for the sake of criticizing and they're not going to like it even before they have read what you've written or have looked at your artwork. They know that they're not going to like it. They decided that already. So some of it is not even real. But if it really is based on the fact that they didn't like it, that's their subject. Um, I love what Dr. Wayne Dyer, if you've ever read any of his books, I have read. I think I've read every single one of his books and heard almost all of his um, taped lectures. Um, One of the things that he talked about was if you decide your worth on another person's opinion, you're putting your worth in the hands of another human being and who are they to decide your worth? Really. And if they're able to decide your worth, then the person who compliments you and tells you how wonderful it is is all your worth. The best is to not take anything that people say, whether it's positive or negative personally, because it's all a reflection of themselves. And, and Don Miguel Ruiz, who wrote the four agreements, um, said that very clearly that you know we're all living a dream and what someone says about you is just a reflection of their own dream it has nothing to do with you it's not personal at all Uh, I love what um, one of the stories that Dr. Dyer told Was that the um, Your Erroneous Stones? That was the book that became a bestseller. That was his first bestseller book that really that made him uh, well known in the self-help community and the psychology community. Um, He received letters from people, and he remembers he remembered one letter that he received where the reader of his book told him that this book changed their life. And it was such an amazing book. Um, absolutely changed their life. And, and it was just wonderful. Another reader wrote a book and said, wrote a letter saying that the book was absolute garbage. And they were sorry that they wasted the nine ninety five to buy the book. And it was just worthless. And, he laughed because he had the two letters in front of him about the same exact book that he wrote. So which one is right? He decided that it wasn't important. Neither one were really right. And um, it was all based on the perception of of the writer. And so what he did was he put the negative letter about his book in an envelope and mailed it off. Those was in the day of, snail mail, (laughs) he mailed it off to the person who wrote the positive letter and he put the positive letter in an envelope and mailed it off to the negative person so that they could see that their opinion was really balanced by the opposite opinion. So, you know, remember that other people's opinions are colored by their own life experience. And what they're going through at that moment, um, which might include a feeling of jealousy that you, that you have found a passion and they're not, they're not following their passion. It might be based on a fear that they have that if you're doing this, that means that they have to do something. You're holding a mirror up to them, which tells them that they're not following their passion and now they have to do something. It may be well-meaning that they worry about you and they're, they're afraid that you're going to make a mistake. Um, but we don't need to listen. You know, it's, it's good to take constructive criticisms. And if somebody says to you, hey, don't quit your day job yet, that might be something to listen to. You know, you do need to pay your bills until you have money coming in from from this other thing. Um, So you you look at it, you evaluate the criticism and see if there are any shreds of truth in there that could be useful for you. Um, But don't let their fear, um, don't take on their fear. Um, Because we have a lot of fear of our own. Why do we need to take on somebody else's fears? It may be reflecting their own fears about their own life and really has nothing to do with you or anything that you're doing. Um, And some people criticize just because, as I said, they've made a decision that they're not going to like what you're doing even before they know anything about it. They're just angry, they're upset in their own life, and they're looking for someone to take it out on. So you have to just kind of let it roll off of you. Um, I know it's not always easy to let it roll off of you, but important to um, remember that that might be where it's coming from and having compassion for that person and understanding that when people are in pain, then they create pain for other people. And usually when somebody um, hurts you, it's because they are hurt themselves. And so if it doesn't make it okay but having that understanding and compassion for them helps you to not feel angry about it or to not believe what they're saying and let it stop you from moving forward. And, you know, and that, if you want to go back to what Asha was saying, that's part of the struggle is um, dealing with other people's um, Anger, dealing with other people's pain, and dealing with their criticism as we move on our own path in a, in a direction that we feel that we need to go. So again, keep your eye open this week for my blog that goes into a little bit more detail about dealing with the critics. And this Thursday, I'll also be discussing it in a little bit more detail on my Facebook Live. And that's Thursday at 8 p.m. And again, a central time. And again, that'll be posted later so you can watch it anytime. And I'll go a little bit deeper into it and feel free to leave your comments. And um, yeah, so I'm going to end that there so that we can listen to the music of our next guest coming up. We have Nashville singer-songwriter Carol Mack who will be joining us in a few minutes and so we're going to listen to her music and then Carol will join us and talk to us about her music and we'll listen to some more of her music.
4: Old as the sun
1: of our next guest who's joining us on the phone we have Nashville singer-songwriter Carol Mack good evening Carol hi how are you
5: I'm great how are you I'm good I was just listening to your podcast I'm like okay I need I need more of this <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, I'm glad to hear that thank you so and thank you for joining us this evening well, thank you for asking, and thank you for playing my music. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, maybe we can talk a little bit about your musical history. How's that? And then we'll we'll sure. talk about that
5: song that we just played. Sure. Um, well, I've I've uh, been a singer musician um, all of my life. I mean, I started playing piano when I was a little bitty girl, and uh, and um, played all the way through. Uh, school and college you know I met my husband in college and we formed a band and we went out and played clubs for you know 300 nights a year and toured and all of that and we ended up in Portland Oregon um for a number of years and uh, had uh released a couple of uh local albums uh up in in Portland where and played uh, on that music scene um and then um started making inroads, you know, and and friendships in Nashville. We did have some contacts and people that lived in Nashville. And I think uh, the music I was doing what at the time we moved to Nashville was, uh, you know, Nashville was becoming less traditional country and I was becoming more and more, you know, moving a little more to the acoustic and the roots kind of music. And so it just made sense, and my husband and I were both songwriters. So we made the move to Nashville about 20 years ago, and I had a record deal on an independent label called Magnatone, um, and put out an album, uh, just a self-titled album called Carol Mac Parker, and um, with a little bit of success. But that the uh, record company folded, and uh, I found myself in a place of just wondering, you know, do I? Go out and try to get another record deal. Do I just want to be a songwriter? How you know what what is my career path at this point? And and uh, so I ended up just uh, pulling back and wrote uh, songs for Hamstein Music and a company called Screen Music Publishing. Uh, my husband was a songwriter with Sony for a while, and he also wrote for Hamstein um, and did that for a number of years. And then I um, kind of. I think I sort of lost my musical way. Um, I was a session singer, so I was working, uh, doing demos and vocals for other songwriters and, and uh, jingles and things around town, but sort of lost my artist way for a while. And I decided to pull back and and focus on my family and raise my kids and, and uh, just a few years ago decided, you know, I'm approaching Empty Nest and what am I going to do? And I really was, you know, feeling that pull back to the passion you know like you were talking about earlier, where is your mm-hmm. passion um and going you know i' i'm I'm not finished, <laughs> I still uh-huh. have songs i have I still have music to make, and at this point in my life i'm I think I'm at a comfortable musical place to where I'm not chasing um the record deal or you know, I'm I'm not chasing down Taylor Swift and <laughs> any of you know uh-huh. the the stardom really, but the passion of just making music that I love and mm-hmm. thinking there's gotta be people out there who also will connect to this music. And so that's kind of where I am in my career is making music I love that I that I feel speaks to me and my soul and brings joy and I wanna bring that to other people. So <laughs> Well, that's awesome.
1: That's awesome. I mean, that's living your passion.
5: Yeah, it's it's kind of coming back to it. So, I hope
4: any mm-hmm. listeners
5: that are sitting there going, you know, can I really pick up again? Yeah, you can.
4: <laughs>
1: Absolutely. Well, you know, I think you come to a I think you when you come to a point later you know, as years go by, where you realize what you what your true passion is, where you really are mm-hmm. called to do. Right? right. So, so we just played one of your songs, uh, mm-hmm.
5: "Stay." Can you tell us about that song? Is that on on a new album? That is on an album that's coming. Um We have not released the album yet. It'll be out in a few months. But "Stay" is the first single that we've put out, which you can you know find on any of your streaming services, whatever, whatever streaming service you like, um, can also be found on CD Baby if you want to purchase the song, um, and this song, I think, really is just a lighthearted, simple love song, um, I think it just sets a a very nice mood, um, and it's, it kind of harkens back, I think, uh, to some of the music that I grew up listening to, um, it's got those, you know, Burt Bacharach horns in it. You know, it just kind of has a little bit Uh of a a throwback feel to it. And uh, so uh, it was written with my, myself and my co-writer Ron Chick and um, Amanda uh, Flynn, who's a fantastic lyricist and she wrote most of the lyrics and I wrote some of them. And then I, uh, Ron and I wrote the music together. Um, So it's, that one's just a mm-hmm. very simple love song.
1: Yeah. Well, it's nice. I, I, I enjoyed you. listening to it. So, it. so this is on a new album that's coming out in a few months. So is that what you're mm-hmm. doing right now? Are you working on recording we have the finished all the new
5: album? Yeah, we we've, we've finished all the recording. So we're just releasing at this point, we're releasing the, the songs, a few songs at a time, and then the, the full album comes out in a couple of months so okay okay
1: um are you performing anywhere or is it
5: mainly just the um, recording and writing ma- at this point mainly just the recording i do have a few uh local gigs here in nashville um that are coming up there's one uh, uh at a place called poinonia and it's a an event called live on music row live on the row and i'll be doing a, a singer songwriter we call it in the round for anybody who who uh has been to Nashville. That's kind of a a Nashville. Uh Uh-oh, we lost
1: her. All right. Um, We're going to play another one of her songs, okay, Art, until Carol calls right back. Well, we played a couple of your songs while you were missing.
4: <laughs> <laughs>
1: well, thank you for playing the song. <laughs> we played we played Beautiful and we were just playing Mercy Road. Um, Wonderful. <laughs> <we>, yep. <yeah. laughs> so, you were just saying that you've been doing lo, you're doing some local gigs in Nashville and you're also doing a singer-songwriter circle.
5: Right, there's a songwriter in the round coming up on may twenty fourth at a place called live on the row uh-huh
1: mhm, okay, songwriter in the round, All right. yeah, yeah, and so, um so we just we played two of your songs already, maybe you could do that i absolutely when you when we played that song, beautiful, which Art had played for me once before when he first invited mm-hmm. you on it just brings tears to my eyes every time
5: oh thank you for saying that man i appreciate you saying that <laughs> yeah it it's it
1: it has such a be- it's so beautiful <laughs> so <laughs> what is that can you tell us about that the, song
5: yeah the the song came from um my husband and I were in an airport lounge, and there was a young girl who came up. Our server who came to our table, and she had a name tag on. Uh, and when I looked at it, I it was, uh, you know, obviously a you know she's obviously a foreign uh, foreign girl, and and uh, her name tag was foreign. I couldn't pronounce her name, and I was so intrigued. And we were like, "Where are you from?" And she was from Nepal. And we said, well, how, you know, I said, I'd, I'd love to know how you pronounce your name. And she told me, and then my husband said, well, you know, does it, does your name mean anything? And she said, well, yes, it does. My It means beautiful. My mother named me beautiful. Mm. And we, you know, of course, a songwriter is always looking for great material and things to inspire you to to write. And my husband wrote most of that lyric and I wrote some of it, but just the thought that someone sees you and names you and calls, you know, is speaking into your Mm. life basically who you are and that she's, she, and she was radiant, you know, and when she said it, she was like, Oh, it means beautiful. And I thought, Oh my goodness. If, if we knew that we knew who we really were um, and we're comfortable in that and we knew that we were beautiful, would we, you know, would you live your life differently? Would you, how would you, live that out you know and, mm. and what a what a powerful thing that was um, yeah and and so that's that's really where the lyric comes from um but you know it's it's just knowing who you are and how you're named and i, I just thought it, i thought it was a beautiful expression of of mm-hmm. you know and it's a beautiful so, song <laughs> mm, thank you it's- Thank you. Is, is that on?
1: <laughs> is that on the new album as
5: well? well yes, that's on the new album. Um, that single will be coming out in a couple of months, um, probably when we release the album. And at at this point in time, that's what the album will be called. I think we're going to name it Beautiful. So. Mm. Okay.
1: <laughs> okay. So, and then the last song that we just played, uh, Mercy Road. Mm-hmm.
5: Since we played it, can you tell us about it? Yeah, that song uh, was inspired by the story of my mom and dad. Um, I've lost my mother. She was uh, 90 years old. And she passed away mm. a year, about a year and a half ago. And the day we went into the recording studio to start uh, tracking the songs for this album was the day I got the call um, that, you know, mom's in a bad way, you you need to come. And she had been off and on battling, um, you know, in the hospital. And uh, so she had happened to gone into the hospital and I got a call from my sister and she says, uh, you know, you need to come now. It's, it's time. And so we basically tracked the song and it was one that we had had the title Mercy Road, but we really hadn't written the lyrics. And I didn't have an idea for exactly what I wanted it to be. Um, But, about a month later when I was back home with my uh, three sisters and we were cleaning, you know, going through your, my mom's stuff and cleaning out closets and going through boxes. And we discovered this picture of her from like 1967. Um, hmm. It was amazing. And uh, she just, I'd never seen this picture of her before. She looked like, you know, Jackie Kennedy, in this
4: cool hmm.
5: black, Hat with a white brim and feathers all around it. And, you know, just she was dressed to the nines, you know, just gorgeous. And um, I sent that picture to my husband. I said, Look at this picture of my mother. And it, the hat with the feathered brim is one of the lyrics in the song. And it really, uh, mm-hmm. he, the lyrics just came to him. He said, Oh, it's, this is inspiring the whole lyric of the song. And it's the journey of my parents and them looking back over their lives in the chorus is I loved my life away, you know, so they, mm. they were together almost 70 years. It was a beautiful, wow. beautiful relationship. And, and uh, so um, that's what inspired that story. It's just a, the story of a journey. <laughs>
1: Very nice.
5: Very nice.
1: So, so how,
5: how do you have, how many CDs do you have out already? Um, I've recorded a couple of them. Um, they would be available on CD Baby. Many of them released several years ago, um, but um, those are, you know, if someone were would like to find it, you could go to CD Baby dot com and and uh, and you can find those. Mm-hmm. Okay.
1: And how? And are you? Uh, you know, uh, Art asked me to ask you.
3: <laughs> are you coming
1: to Austin? <laughs> Will you come to Austin
5: to play anytime? I would love to. Come, I would love to come to Austin. I'm a Texas girl. I was born and raised in Abilene. So, um okay. we we come to Texas quite frequently, um and usually in the summertime for sure. We like to go to uh there's a uh Marble Falls, there's a lake, uh, Lake mm-hmm. LBJ, and we we would go oh, there yeah. every summer. I was just my, there my family would. Oh, you were? Yeah. Yeah. So, yep. my, my family has gathered there every every summer for for many many years. So. Okay. Well,
1: we would love to see you here in Austin. So. Well, I I would love to come. That. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, we'll have to be in touch. And, All right. Um, so if listeners want to find out more about you, find out about when your new album is released or, or some of your previous CDs, um, mm-hmm. how can they do that? Where can they look
5: or, or, your, uh, or your calendar
1: of performances?
5: Yeah, there's a website, carolmackparker.com. And then on Facebook, mm-hmm. you can go and like my Facebook page, which is just Carol Mack. Okay. And uh, you can find yeah. it that way. Okay, great. So I will
1: post both of those on my website posts about this show. So, so great. people can do that. And if they missed it, they can just go there and click on the link. Um, yeah. Yeah. So thank you so much for for coming on the show this evening and sharing some of your music. Um and I look forward to hearing you again. Maybe seeing you Thank you. Seeing you perform.
5: Thank you. Thank you for having me.
1: <laughs> All right. Well, you have a good evening and good luck on the release
5: of your CD. Thank you so much.
1: All right. Take care now. All righty. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. So we've come to the end of another program, and before Art knocks me off the air, let me let everybody know what's coming up next week. Next Sunday, Cinco de Mayo, we'll be back with another great program, and we'll be joined by Bob Batchelor, who is himself an urgent care nurse, and he is the managing director of Flying Angels, and he'll be joining us to talk about this non-emergency medical transport company that's staffed by nurses and doctors. And also, Tanya McDaniel, Education Supervisor for Family Integration Learning at the Dallas Zoo, joins us to talk about their program for adults with dementia, interacting with animals at the zoo. And more, we have much more, always have more in store for you. And if you want to hear this evening's program again and read the information from the show, get the website link that we talked about on the program that my guest gave during the show, um, go to my website, drmarakarpel.com, drmarakarpe com. And for future shows and to find out about um, What's coming up, and to follow me on my Facebook Live, go to my Facebook page, Dr. Mara Cartel, Your Golden Years. And you can listen to this evening's program in as soon as five minutes from now by going directly to blog talk radio, that's B L O G talk radio dot com slash Your Golden Years. And psyched up productions and sponsored by neurologist and memory specialist, Dr. Ronald DeVere, and by Story House. And special thanks to my guests, Akshay Nanavati, Carol Mack, and of course, thank you to Art. And thank you all for listening. Have a peaceful night and inspiring week. And remember, youth has no age. Good night, everyone.
2: by dr carpel is not intended to replace the advice of your own physician or mental health specialist neither dr carpel for sponsors nor this station assumes responsibility for the misuse of any of the information given on this show